Chapters eighteen and nineteen of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eighteen. Look not thus pleadingly on me. The tears thou sheddest in thy bitterest grief are joy beside my tearlessness. It was half past five when Doctor Ollivant came in sight of the sugar loaf roof of the Norman Tower. The summer afternoon was softly melting into summer evening a brighter gold upon the waves a deeper purple in the distance a warm rosy light over beach and village the forerunner of sunset's glory and glow all nature's voices seemed to have a mellower sound just at this hour and dr ollivant to whose observation evening in wimpole street rarely offered any more interesting features than the six o'clock postman or the brougham of a rival practitioner over the way was moved by the soft influence of the scene at such an hour as this one would think that nature meant all men to be good he mused but then nature belies herself as often as mankind yonder restful sea will have her fit of wickedness savage winds will come tearing over those peaceful hills nature will indulge her bad passions just like the weakest of us the doctor looked back along the summer waves somewhere under that blue water walter leyburne was swaying gently to and fro entangled among seaweeds perhaps and with cold anemones cleaving to his hair lullabied as gently by that soft murmur of ocean as ever his mother rocked him in her arms to-night or to-morrow might come wind and storm and the same waters would tear and buffet him and shatter him against the rocks in their frantic sport but for this evening he could scarcely have a pleasanter resting-place than that cool blue sea better than to be stretched in a narrow coffin and shut up in a room that all living things avoid thought the doctor death had been so familiar to him that his rival's swift passage from life to eternity impressed him less than it might have impressed another man the universal doom was always before his mind under more or less painful aspects that a man should have fallen from a cliff was hardly worse than that he should be cut off by fever or consumption yet little more than an hour ago he had been weak and plastic as a child in the hands of jarrett gurner the cold drops of a deadly fear had stood upon his brow at the thought that if jarrett gave his version of the scene on the cliff flora would believe him a murderer what would she not believe in her distraction if the knowledge of her lover's untimely fate came to her in its dreadful certainty a figure was standing at the garden gate the slender form he knew so well in its flowing muslin dress with gay blue ribbons fluttering here and there not a toilette that carefully followed the last turn in passion's ever-revolving wheel but a simple girlish dress careless unsophisticated with only a schoolgirl's aspiration for the beautiful as embodied in a blue sash and breast-knot as he drew nearer he saw the fair young face watching him with an anxious look how late you are dr ollivant am i i hope your father has not wanted me has not grown worse no thank god he is better what have you done with walter the question electrified him how like a murderer he felt just at this moment how like the first murderer when the same awful question was addressed to him and yet by no deliberate design had he compassed his rival's death an unlucky blow given in self-defence that was all what have i done with him he echoed forcing a smile we have not been together i expected to find him with you once on the fatal road lies came glibly enough he had an appointed part to act and must play it boldly did you said flora with a disappointed look i have not seen him since breakfast he said he was only going out for an hour or two while i read the paper to papa it isn't very kind of him to stay away so long 
i waited lunch until past three and couldn't eat anything then and how faint he must be so many hours after breakfast artists are so absent-minded but you are looking pale and tired dr ollivant come into the drawing-room and have some sherry and soda added flora remembering the duties of hospitality i am tired i've been a longer round than usual among those hills on the road to tadmore in the wilderness said the doctor remembering jared's suggestion about an alibi and alone all the time exclaimed flora wonderingly she could not understand the delight of such solitary rambles alone with my own thoughts and the image i chose for my companion they went into the drawing-room a shadowy retreat with close-drawn venetians save to one window which looked away from the sun across darkening purple waves to the distant rocks of fairbay flora had contrived to beautify the barely furnished room with flowers and bookstands and gay little work-baskets and prettiness of an essentially girlish character the canaries were there in their big cage chirping placidly now and then as if they meant to think seriously about singing before the summer was over the doctor cherished a secret conviction that they were all hens and that flora who had chosen them for the brilliancy of their colour and the showiness of their paces had been deceived as to their vocal capacities to-day the doctor had no eye for the canaries or the prettinesses of the cool retreat where mark chamney reposed luxuriantly on his sofa by the one unshrouded window he had eyes only for flora's face wondering how it would look as time went by and brought no tidings of her lover how it would look if they had to tell her he was drowned mr chamney spoke to him and he answered reasonably enough yet if questioned the moment after would have been sorely puzzled to tell what he had been talking about never had flora been kinder to him than this afternoon she made him sit in the easy-chair opposite her father's sofa poured the wine into his tumbler even opened the soda-water bottle herself with dexterous fingers i learnt to do it for papa in fitzroy square she explained proud of her proficiency when i was at miss mayduke's i should have thought opening a soda-water bottle as awful as firing a cannon she seemed cheered by the doctor's return as if it presaged walter's speedy coming i dare say he has walked as far as you she said he meaning walter of course cried mark laughing what curious people lovers are that poor child has been going in and out of this window every five minutes fluttering like a frightened bird standing at the garden gate to look up and down the road and then coming back to me with the saddest little face no papa not a sign of him what an exacting wife you'll make baby and what a stay-at-home husband you'll expect i don't suppose husbands stay at home always papa replied flora pouting i'm not quite so ignorant as you think but i thought when people were engaged they generally spent a good deal of their time together just to see if it answered if the engagement answered yes if they really really liked each other for you see a gentleman may make a lady an offer on the impulse of the moment walter is very impulsive you know papa and he may find out afterwards that he doesn't care about her as much as he thought he did his engagement gives him plenty of time for that for if he and his betrothed are a good deal together for long long hours he must know for certain if he is quite happy in her company and never never dull or tired of her and if she can really be all the world to him as a wife ought to be a very good definition of the uses of courtship flora when walter goes for his next long walk you shall go with him and see how your pretty little feet can adapt themselves to his pace walking the journey of life by his side dr ollivant looked at the purpling sea and thought where this walter really was of whom those two spoke so gaily what time do we dine baby asked mr chamney after an interval in which flora had been out into the garden for another look along the road 
the usual time papa seven you'd better go and get rid of the dust of your walk cuthbert it's past six and your toilette is always such a scrupulous business the doctor started from a reverie yes he said when mr chamney had repeated his observation i'll go i'm up to my eyes in dust that red earth on the cliffs why you said you had been on the hills i mean on the hills the soil is all the same colour red like blood he went up to his room the sight of his own face in the glass startled him i look like a murderer he said to himself the mark is there already come if i don't keep a better watch over myself they'll find out the truth from my face copious ablutions in cold spring water helped to obliterate the mark carefully brushed well-made evening clothes assisted in erasing the brand no murderer could have wished to look better than dr ollivant looked as he entered the drawing-room where flora was watching so wearily for the faithful knight who came not pale always thoughtful always the burden on his mind made no change in his aspect to his own eye there might be a guilty look but the guilt was within and the sinner's imagination invented its outward tokens the eye sees what the mind invents perhaps the worst feature of his hideous secret was that it urged him to perpetual lies just now seeing flora's watchful look he was constrained to say not come yet he's late isn't he very late i asked them to keep back dinner for a quarter of an hour i hope you don't mind you must be very hungry must i why because you have had no luncheon haven't i no to be sure i forgot what a bad appetite you must have to be able to forget your luncheon i don't know luncheon seems rather a lady's meal like five o'clock tea and all those extra refreshments i don't know that men would not thrive better if they were fed like dogs and wild beasts in zoological gardens once a day nature would adapt herself to the system how dreadful as if life could possibly go on without meals it isn't that i care so much about eating but it is so nice to sit at a table with people one likes and talk in the leisurely way people talk at meals surely meals are the bond of society i suppose so but you see i don't care for society it seems rather a hardship to me sometimes to be obliged to sit at table with my mother for an hour and a half while our old servant dawdles in and out with vegetable dishes and brushes away crumbs and polishes glasses and changes spoons and forks and lays out figs and oranges and dry biscuits that we never eat when i should get as much sustenance from a mutton shop swallowed in ten minutes i'm afraid you're a misanthrope cuthbert said mark from his sofa you'd rather sit in that dreary consulting-room of yours with some musty old book before you than enjoy the best society earth can give i beg your pardon there is some society for which i would surrender all my books light the fires of the turkish baths with them obliterate from my mind all the knowledge they ever gave me begin life afresh ignorant as a child why cuthbert you talk as if you were in love cried mark laughing come little girl i think we've given this young man grace enough you had better ring for dinner i dare say walter has come across people he knows and is dining somewhere but he doesn't know any one in devonshire how can you be sure of that he may have met some roving acquaintance some brother of the brush i won't keep you waiting any longer papa nor you dr ollivant but it does seem so strange so rude and unkind to stay away without sending any message and he has never kept us waiting before oh papa if something should have happened why baby what could happen amiss to a strong young man with all his senses about him 
you mustn't look so miserable at a few hours separation little one or i shall wish i had never picked up this young scapegrace it isn't that papa if i could only feel sure that he is safe i wish i were as sure the forequarter of lamb won't be spoilt by this foolish delay come ollivant give flora your arm they sat down to dinner but a cloud was upon them flora's absent looks her listening expectant air disturbed both her companions mark could not be happy while his daughter was anxious this first cloud light as it might be filled him with uneasiness what if his fancied wisdom had been foolishness after all what if cuthbert were right and this young painter really inconstant and unstable he slighted his betrothed by this unexplained absence he had no right to cause her alarm by some frivolous change of plan they lingered at the dinner-table flora doing her utmost to protract the ceremony in the hope that walter would be with them before they had finished and then giving particular instructions for fish and joint being kept hot in case of mr leyburne's return it was past nine when they went back to the drawing-room where one lamp burned with a pensive light remote from the open window here they sat in almost absolute silence flora on a footstool at her father's feet looking up at the starlit sky and waiting for the first token of walter's return mark lying back in his armchair with one hand resting tenderly on his daughter's silky hair the doctor seated on the other side of the window looking out with his straight steadfast gaze even the consciousness of guilt could not make those calm eyes shifty with every rise and fall of the waves he thought of the cold form they carried in their lap to-night it rose and fell with that gaily lifting water it moved with every ripple he could almost fancy he heard the dragging sound of the heavy body over its ocean bed the grating of the pebbles as the sea drew it along bound by the long slimy weeds the cold dank weeds which by this time must clothe it like a garment and all this time flora watched and listened as if he could come back to her midnight came while they were still sitting in patient silence but they sat on even later until it seemed unreasonable to expect mr leyburne's return he must have had some unforeseen summons back to london said mark who had beguiled the slow hours with occasional slumbers who could send for him papa he has not a relation in the world or at least not one he cares for pshaw all young men have bosom friends some brother artist in distress may have appealed to him and he has hurried off to his friend's assistance you know how impulsive he is your geniuses are not to be judged by common rules i dare say we shall have a letter or a telegram to-morrow god grant we may said flora piteously but i am afraid something has happened some misfortune i don't think he would leave us so unkindly dr ollivant turning to him with earnest appeal what do you think is there any need for fear she looked at him entreatingly as if she would have besought the strong man for comfort the poor little face looked white and wan in the sickly flare of the candle she was holding as she paused on the threshold for some word of hope that look of hers rent cuthbert ollivant's heart not even the sweet hope of winning her by and by could counterbalance the agony of that one pang to see her thus and know the suffering that awaited her the slow days of hope deferred the dull anguish of uncertainty or if the sea gave up her dead the horrible truth he could not answer her with a lie alas dear flora life is made up of fears and sad surprises i-i am inclined to think there must be something wrong mark chamney turned upon him indignantly 
it's too bad of you to talk like that ollivant when my little girl is as nervous as she can be and has been making herself positively wretched about this scapegrace who is enjoying himself somewhere or other i dare say dr ollivant shrugged his shoulders deprecatingly it is always wise to be prepared for the worst he said i didn't say there was anything amiss i only said there might be yes you're like one of those confounded greek oracles we used to read about at school who were never wrong because they were never clear you shan't frighten my flora with your dark speeches let her take comfort from the thought that she has you by her side said the doctor gently that's the best comfort i can offer her and that is comfort exclaimed flora oh papa papa can i complain so long as i have you she threw herself into her father's arms and shed the first tears of her new grief upon his breast if he has deserted me she said in a low broken voice i can bear it deserted you my pretty one do you think you are the kind of sweetheart a young man would run away from cried the father soothingly dr ollivant stood in the shadow and witnessed her grief it was hard to bear remembering that one fatal blow into which he had put all the force of his manhood chapter nineteen if he lived she knew not that he lived if he were dead she knew not he was dead the next day and the next and a week of slow and weary days went by and brought no news of the missing man there was no letter there was no telegram the inquiries which mr chamney set on foot round and about threw no light on the mystery every one about branscombe remembered the young painter almost every one had seen him many had spoken to him on that last day but since a little afternoon on that day no eye in branscombe had beheld him he had been seen to shut up his paint-box and portfolio to give them in charge to a boy for safe conveyance to the villa and then to go up the hill yonder towards the cliffs smoking his cigar only one of mr chamney's informants had anything to add to this simple statement this was an idle young fisherman who rarely seemed to do anything more actively laborious than watching other people work this youth affirmed that soon after the painter went up the hill it might have been ten minutes it might have been pretty nigh a quarter of an hour he had seen a strange-looking party in a velveteen jacket and a billycock hat come out of the blue lion public and mount the hill in the same direction as it might be following mr leyburne he had took particular notice of this party being a stranger that was all the emergence of this velveteen jacketed stranger from the blue lion and even his ascent of the hill were hardly circumstances forcible enough to point to any direct conclusion walter was young and strong not the kind of man to fall a prey to any prowling vagabond a man whom prowling vagabonds would be likely to avoid he carried little money about him and except a good chronometer offered small temptation to the footpad mr chamney therefore paid little attention to the young fisherman's remarks about the peculiar-looking character in velveteen and felt hat dr ollivant touched with pity for flora's distress postponed his departure at the hazard of his professional interests and was the moving spirit of the investigation he did not waste time upon discussion but went over to long sutton and set telegraph at work he telegraphed to the landlady in fitzroy square answer paid he telegraphed to walter leyburne's shipping friends in the city and waited at the station till both messages had been answered the reply was the same in each case neither the landlady nor the shipbroker had heard or seen anything of mr leyburne since the thirtieth of june the date of that scene on the cliff what other answer could dr ollivant have expected 
he folded the messages and went back to branscombe to show them to mr chamney and his daughter flora turned from him with a sigh how could you expect to hear of him in london she said he has either met with his death in some dreadful way down here or he has run away from me the last possibility was almost as bitter as the first and it was a possibility that occurred to poor flora very often had he really loved her or had he been influenced by her father's too obvious desire for their union that doubt humiliated her fear of his untimely death shame at the thought that he had perhaps deserted her that his disappearance was only a trick to rid himself of an unloved betrothed divided her mind and the double burden was too heavy for her to bear before the week was ended she was lying in her airy white curtained bedchamber languid and ill what is to be done asked mark chamney in an agony of fear we must get her back to london the journey won't do her any harm she is not ill enough for that but if she stays here and listens to the moaning of that sea here where everything will remind her of her missing lover i won't answer for her health of mind or body again if he should be drowned and the sea give him up to us such a shock as that might be fatal do you think he is drowned asked mark despondently it seems the most likely something must have happened to him what more likely than that he was going to find some lonely nook to bathe in that time he was seen going up the path towards the cliffs there's that gully about a quarter of a mile from here where there's a tempting bit of sand he may have gone down there for a swim you know how fond he was of the water yes but he was a splendid swimmer you've only his own word for that responded the doctor all men fancy themselves great swimmers it's one of the common weaknesses of humanity besides splendid swimmers do sometimes come to a bad end true sighed mark poor walter i can't bear to think that he is really gone strange mockery of fate i thought i had made my child's future safe and happy when i gave her that young man for her protector yet he goes before me i knew that i was doomed how could i think that the doom was upon him too dr ollivant had been watchful of the sea during this last week he had supplied himself with all the local papers and studied all paragraphs relating to the drowned the waves gave up no less than three victims on the western coast during this period and dr ollivant travelled many miles to inspect these mournful remains but none of these three drowned men bore the faintest resemblance to walter leyburne and the dismal inspection over the doctor went back to branscombe somewhat relieved in mind perhaps the sea meant to keep his secret altogether again and again had he pondered his conduct on that fatal day his seeming weakness in accepting jared gurner's silence a silence which would have to be paid for by and by he knew well enough that in permitting this man to befriend him to stand between him and the law he had sunk below the level of his former life straightforwardness manliness would have urged him to stand the brunt of what he had done to tell his own story and hazard all consequences but against this there was the fact that the truth tell it how he might meant ruin he must confess that angry scuffle confess that deadly blow where would his professional status be after such a revelation what would be his chance with flora to speak the truth was to lose all and the truth could not help the dead thus after prolonged deliberation he told himself that if there had been ever so much time for consideration he could hardly have decided otherwise 
that strange vagabond had summed up the exigencies of his case wisely enough to potter over the dead man to be found beside him would have been ruin his present position was mean despicable granted but he had been obliged to choose between that degradation and the loss of all he valued the week stretched to ten days and mr chamney was no wiser as to walter's fate flora grew worse increasing languor increasing disinclination to live she had no fever delirium did not drift her fancies out of the real world into a region of distorted shadows she only turned her face to the wall refused meat and drink hardly answered even when her father spoke to her seemed to be slipping gently out of life dr ollivant counselled removal from branscombe she had just enough strength for the journey but in a little while it would be too late you mustn't take her back to fitzroy square he said everything would remind her of mr leyburne you ought to take some nice rooms out at kensington where the world would look fresh and bright to her a delicate flower like that will only flourish under certain conditions of atmosphere i'll do anything you like answered mark helplessly only don't let me lose her i didn't think laws could come near me who have so short a time to live yet now it seems as if my brief span may be long enough to outlast all i love don't be downhearted mark you shall see our pretty flower bloom again shall i telegraph to my mother and tell her to get you some nice rooms near kensington gardens before two o'clock to-morrow she'll do anything i ask her do ollivant we'll travel to-morrow if you think it wise i look upon it as our only hope of rousing her she won't leave off grieving of course for some time to come but one great incentive to grief the scenes which recall her lost lover will be removed the doctor rode over to long sutton and dispatched his telegram so carefully worded so full of precautions to secure his patient's comfort and well-being the rooms were to be cheerful and airy with a southern aspect if possible within five minutes walk of kensington gardens brightly furnished not the usual dismal lodging-house pattern mrs ollivant would have hard work to find such model apartments when the intended journey was announced to flora there came a difficulty the girl rose up in her bed with newly awakened vitality and turned angrily upon the doctor what she exclaimed leave branscombe before we know what has become of walter i did not think you were so cruel dr ollivant do you think i have been wanting in my efforts to find him flora asked the doctor i don't know it is too soon to give up it would be heartless to go away and leave him to perish lost perhaps on some dreary moor or in some wood the people here will take no trouble when we are gone let me say a few words to her alone said the doctor appealing to mark who stood at the foot of the bed watching his daughter with a countenance of despair he obeyed his old schoolfellow without a word and slipped quietly from the room but only to the landing outside where he waited the issue of events shall i tell you the truth flora asked dr ollivant when they were alone of course what do i want but the truth she answered impatiently those eyes that were wont to be all softness bright with anger then believe me all has been done that can be done if we were to stay here a year and spend all your father's fortune upon the search we could do no good every reasonable inquiry has been made in every direction either mr leyburne has gone away of his own accord or the sea has swallowed him up the latter seems to me the more likely event why did i ever wish him to come here said flora 
it was my fault for being so anxious to have him here and he came to his death laura said the doctor taking the burning little hand was mr leyburne the only person you ever loved how can you ask me such a question when there is papa whom i love with all my heart do you and yet you behave as if the world had only held walter leyburne as if your father's anxiety your father's grief were indifferent to you you lie upon this bed and turn your face to the wall and give yourself up to despair because one man has gone out of the world forgetting that you are breaking your father's heart that you are killing him dr ollivant how can you say so cried flora startled i only tell you the truth you know that your father is ill that with him life is held by a feeble thread but you do not know how ill he is or how attenuated that thread of life the whole bitter truth has hitherto been mercifully kept from you but now it is time you should know the worst for your father's complaint grief or anxiety of any kind is full of danger what is my father's complaint tell me the worst chronic heart disease flora cast herself sobbing on the pillows her lost lover was forgotten the shadow of that deeper greater loss darkened her narrow world a dull dead feeling of despair came upon her was she doomed to lose all she for whom a fortnight ago life had seemed all brightness is there no cure she asked at last raising herself again from the pillows and turning to the doctor with streaming eyes you who are so clever you can surely cure him the age of miracles is past flora and nothing less than a miracle could cure your father he knows that as well as i know it what i can do by care and treatment to prolong his life i will do you may be sure of that but the course you have taken during the last ten days is calculated to undo all the good i can do nay more than that is likely to have a fatal effect oh how wicked i have been not to think more of my father the first and dearest in the world my father whom i love better than life your grief has agonized him your refusal to eat your silence your obstinate determination not to be comforted even by him think how these must have tortured him every pang you make that weak heart suffer brings him one step nearer to the end oh i have been out of my senses cried flora how else could i have been forgetful of my father i thank you dr ollivant even for telling me the worst she went on choked with tears it has been a hard blow but better than ignorance better than false security my dear dear father he shall never more be pained by any selfish grief of mine so long as god spares him to me i will make his repose his happiness the single study of my life oh dr ollivant be careful of him prolong his life be sure i will do my uttermost flora shall i call your father in again yes she dried her tears hurriedly mark saw no trace of her grief as he came beside her bed and bent down to kiss her dr ollivant has been scolding me papa she said with something of her old bright way and i mean to behave better in future i will go back to london to-morrow if you like ollivant thinks it will be better for you darling i will do whatever is best for you whatever you wish papa and now if you'll send jane to me i think i'll get up and come downstairs and sit with you while you dine will you really my pet cried mark delighted that will make me quite happy again 
Mr. Chamney and the doctor withdrew, and presently Flora rose from the bed where she had cast herself in her despair, with a wicked hope that she might never rise from it again. She let the housemaid dress her and smooth out the tangled brown hair, and put on the blue ribbons which she had worn for Walter's gratification. He had made a little water-colour sketch of her in those very ribbons. And now she was going back to a world in which there was no Walter Leyburne she would hear of painters and of pictures and of all life's brightest things and know that he had no more part in them he who had been so ambitious and had hoped to conquer kingdoms in that wide world the future the sun came streaming in upon her from the open window there lay the blue bright sea the sea which perhaps was his grave the very fairness of this world upon which she had turned her back for the last blank miserable week made it hateful to her such a smiling deceptive world full of sorrow and death the maid let in all the sunshine it's a lovely afternoon miss she said and it'll do you a world of good to go downstairs and walk in the garden a bit with your par or dr hollyfont so anxious as they've both been about you too flora went down to the drawing-room looking almost as white as her dress and contrived to answer her father's anxious look with a smile there was heroic effort in that smile though flora was a small unheroic person mark proposed a stroll in the garden before dinner and flora went with him and looked at the carnations and the geraniums and verbenas and silvery-leafed plants with which the nurseryman had embellished the garden at mr chamney's expense and at the youthful myrtle on the wall which was to climb to the roof in years to come she passed the green bank on which she had sat when walter proposed to her and gave a pathetic look at the spot remembering how happy she had been then and how full the world was of hope she sat by her father while he ate his dinner with better appetite than he had had since walter's disappearance and she even made a faint effort to take something herself a blade or two of asparagus a morsel of chicken a few of the strawberries which dr ollivant's care had supplied she tried to smile tried to speak of indifferent things and there was something in that forced cheerfulness which sharpened the doctor's agony of remorse it was not walter alone he had slain by that burst of passion on the cliff he had killed hope and joy in this gentle heart End of chapters eighteen and nineteen